we find the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It is one of the beautiful prayers offered by King Kunti to the Supreme Personality of Godhead Sri Krishna. In this prayer, she is glorifying the Lord and addressing him by his various names. Each and every one of Lord Sri Krishna's divine names combined all of his illustrious glories. <coughs> God is one, but simultaneously is full of variety. And similarly, the name of God is one, but each name manifests a very specific, particular, and unique aspect of that one supreme absolute truth. Otherwise, why would Krishna have so many names? Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has prayed, Nayanam Galab, that, my dear Lord, you have many, many names. And in each and every one of your names, you have invested all of your transcendental potencies. But I am so unfortunate that I have no attraction for them. Lord Chaitanya is teaching us that unless we truly feel ourselves to be unqualified, we are not qualified to chant the name of God in truth in a proper state of mind. Each and every one of your names is invested with all of your divine potencies. So the name of God is one. Why would not God conveniently only appear in one name? Why so many? At one of our interfaith conferences, one very high-posted minister of a particular religion, he was explaining that the greatest problem with religion is there are many names of God, and people are arguing in so many ways over which is the proper name of God. Therefore, the best thing is if we just call him God and forget all of his names. Stop addressing him by his various names, because they only cause disunity and confusion. And of course, many people were listening and thinking, this sounds good, this makes sense. But you see, the purpose of religion is not to try to create a superficial sense of unity. The purpose of religion is to understand the unique, unlimited, variegatedness of God's infinite qualities and to love him and surrender to him. So therefore the Lord has many names because although he is one, still his infinite relationships with his infinite devotees carry a unique quality 
in each and every relationship. Krishna is the son of Vasudev. Therefore, he is called upon by Vasudevaya. He is also the son of Dasarat. Therefore, he is called Dasarati Nandan. He is also the reservoir of all pleasure. Therefore, he is called Ram. He is also the all-attractive form that, like a magnet, draws all but every consciousness to him. Therefore, he is called Krishna. He is also the killer of Kamsa. Therefore, he is called Kangshanishudana. He is also the beloved of all the gopis. Thus, he is called upon by Gopi Janabalava. He is also the person who gives divine pleasure to Sri Radha. Thus, he is called Radharaman. In this way, the Lord reveals unity in variety. Unity and variegatedness simultaneously. Achintya Beda Beda Tattva. But those who do not understand this, who do not understand that the Lord appears to attract our minds to his infinite loving pastimes, they try to narrow the Supreme Personality of Godhead to the small smallness of their own mind, their own power to comprehend. Therefore, Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, the verse that we are reading tonight. Yanisha Sarava Bhutanam Tasyam Jagrati Samyame Yasyam Jagrati Bhutani Shanisha Pashatomune. That what is night for all beings is the time of awakening for the self controlled, and the time of awakening for all beings is night for the introspective sage. In the purport, His Divine Grace Srila Prabhupada explains that there are two classes of intelligent men. The one is intelligent in material activities for sense gratification, and the other is introspective and awake to the cultivation of self-realization. Activities of the introspective sage or thoughtful man are night for persons materially absorbed. Materialistic persons remain asleep in such a night due to their ignorance of self-realization. The introspective sage remains alert in the night of the materialistic man. The sage feels transcendental pleasure in the gradual advancement of spiritual culture, whereas the man in materialistic activities, being asleep to self-realization, dreams of varieties of sense pleasure feeling sometimes happy and sometimes distressed in his sleeping condition. The introspective sage is always indifferent to materialistic happiness and distress. He goes on with his self-realization activities undisturbed by material reaction. It is very difficult to understand the mind of one who is purified in consciousness, always surrendered at the feet of the Lord. In fact, it is impossible to understand, because our power of comprehension 
is limited to our own conditioned framework of what is reality. Krishna's potencies are inconceivable, achinti shakti. And those who are surrendered at his lotus feet, to the extent that they have given up all personal ambitions, they are completely under the control of that inconceivable potency of the Lord. So really, we simply have to accept with a heart full of faith. Therefore, Krishna explains here that such a man has a completely different outlook of the world than the ordinary person within society. Lord Jesus Christ also said like this, that because I have come to teach a message which will take you out of this world, the world hates me. And if you follow me, the world will hate you. And if the world does not hate you, that means you are not really following me. This is not just a principle of the Christian tradition, because here in the Bhagavad Gita, which is the summary study of all the Vedic literatures, <coughs> Lord Sri Krishna in essence is saying the same thing that what is night for the ordinary living being is day for the introspective sage and vice versa. Now it is the night time. The night time is the time when the materialists really love to enjoy to their full capacity. You can hear the background music of tonight's program. I do not know what they are doing, but obviously they are trying to enjoy. Now their enjoyment is simply a disturbance for us, is it not? But when we are performing nice kirtan, tumultuously vibrating the divine sound of Krishna's name, we were very happy, would you agree? But they were probably thinking, that we were a great disturbance. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you'll never please all the people all of the time. One of the greatest encumbrances that impedes a devotee's advancement is we are too much concerned with what society will think of us. If you want to please the society, first of all, you cannot please the society. So you might as well just forget it. But if you want to try to please the society, then you have to be just like the society. And in society, everyone has a different opinion. If you become very, very popular, then that means you're going to be, to that extent, very unpopular amongst other people. And they're going to want to destroy you and kill you. Just like in the music world. I was born in America. In my generation, everyone was listening to rock and roll music. And the young people were very happy to hear this. 
And whoever sang very nicely was the most popular person in the whole young generation. People were mad. They would have to have bodyguards just to protect them because people wanted remnants. They would <laughs> take pieces of their clothes off. They would tear at them and they would try to tear their hair out of their head. I have, I have one of the Beatles' hairs. <laughs> Little do they care that the poor man is bleeding at the skull. I have, I have one of the Beatles' um, piece of his, of his shirt. I'll put it in the frame of my room. Little do they care that he has a broken arm because you pulled his arm off. Huh? People were mad after these people. But the older generation, they hated these people. They thought they were completely contaminating and polluting the youth. And the older generation, they had their heroes in the entertainment and music world. And the young people, they thought, my God, these people are disgusting. So who pleases everyone in this society? Whatever you do. As they say, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. When I was young, I had long hair. My parents said, why don't you cut your hair? So then I came back with a shaved head. <laughs> they said, why don't you grow your hair? I said, uh, no matter what I do, you're never satisfied. They said, just be normal. I said, there's no such thing as normal. What's normal for you is not normal for someone else. What is normal? Normal at New Vrindavan is to have a shaved head. At least it used to be. Normal in the societies you have like this. But in other societies it is like that. And even within this society, everyone is arguing over what is normal. What is truth? So please, if you really want to come close to God, you have to be indifferent to what the men and the women of this world think about you. You have to simply try to please Krishna. That is all. To the degree we were speaking the other night, to the degree you're trying to impress people, to that degree you do not impress people. I was recently in Paris. I got a very wonderful realization while I was there. We were at the Louvre, which is a most, one of the most beautiful masterpieces of architectural design in the history of the Western world. And just to approach from the street to the main entrance, you have to walk about 15 minutes through beautiful gardens and fountains, and trees, and flowers beautiful statues, hand-carved out of marble by the finest artists of Europe, each one worth fortunes. And within the building, each room is a unique masterpiece in and of itself of architectural design, of precious artwork. So we're thinking, the persons that built this we're obviously building it to try to impress their friends. 
But actually what happened is they worked so hard to try to impress people, thinking there would be some happiness, there was a sense of pleasure in impressing others. But the people they tried to impress superficially said, yes, yes, this is very beautiful. But inside their hearts, they were envious. They hated the person for what he did. They were thinking, why don't I have this? I should have this. Why you are having this? If you talk about what you've done, everyone will simply think, what a proud rascal. And if you show off what you've done through your um, developments, people will simply condemn you for this. So what is the use? This is the nature of this world. People are very envious of one another. Even in spiritual life, Srila Prabhupada, what did he do? All the great sadhus in India are saying that if only the world would understand the Bhagavad Gita, the essence of the Vedic culture, if only the whole world would chant the holy name of Krishna, then this world would be a wonderful place. So then Srila Prabhupada, at the age of 70, with no money, with no support, terribly ill with seasickness, palpitations of the heart, he went on this cargo ship, the Jaladuta, to New York City. And he struggled and strived. He wasn't concerned with impressing people. He was concerned with purifying people. But even such a pure and genuine effort where he actually spread the Vedic culture all over the world. He translated a Bhagavad Gita in which tens and millions of people were reading it and changing their lives. And he made the Hare Krishna mantra, the principal mantra in all the Vedas, famous throughout every continent of the world. And in America, the older generation, most of them were thinking, what is this nonsense Swami? He's taking away our children. He's changing their lives. And then he comes back to India, and the sadhus of India, they say, so what? He made a bunch of malechas and yavanas chant Hare Krishna. What is his accomplishment? He's not following the strict principles of Brahmanism. Srila Prabhupada told us that whatever you do, people will criticize you. Yasya prasada bhagavat prasada yasya prasada nagati kutopi. Therefore, our concern is simply to please our Guru and Krishna. We are not concerned with anyone else. If you are concerned with everyone else, then you are welcome to rot in this material world, birth after birth after birth. Because there's only one way out, and that is to please Krishna. And pleasing Krishna means becoming anti-material. means being different. It means attaching yourself to the selfless devotion of the Lord and not to the sinful activities of sense enjoyment.
There are many wonderful stories in this regard of great devotees of the Lord. Even Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. His spiritual master was Ishwara Puri and Ishwara Puri's spiritual master was Madhavendra Puri. And the greatest desire in their life was that the seed of love of God be planted in everyone's heart and then it be watered through the pure sound of Krishna's holy name. So Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took his guru and his Param Guru's mission to heart and began to spread the glories of the holy name in all directions. And his own guru's godbrother, Ramchandra Puri, when he came to Jagannath Puri, he could only find faults in Lord Chaitanya. He was publicly accusing him of being a sense enjoyer, a bogus sannyasi. and of low-class Vaishnava. Of course, the devotees, it was breaking their hearts to hear this. But Lord Chaitanya kind of enjoyed the whole situation. He said, yes, what he's saying in true is true. Let him go on. And for many, many months, he was making these accusations. And Lord Chaitanya was just, yes, yes, let him go on. Everything he says is true. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was simply blasphemed by this man. And Krishna himself, who was glorified by the personified Vedas themselves, when he met Shishupal, all Shishupal could do was find fault with him. Shishupal said, this Krishna, what is he? Who is he? Why are you glorifying him? You don't even know who his mother is. Some say Devaki and Vasudeva is the mother. Some say Jashoda and, Bas and Nanda Maharaj. What kind of a low-class person? You don't even know what caste he's from. Is he a Kshatri? Is he a Vaishya? Nobody even knows. Even when Krishna comes to this world, materialistic people find fault in him. So, do you think you're better than Krishna? Do you think they're not going to find fault in you? If you become a nice materialist, some other class of nice materialists will find fault in you, and the devotees will think you're crazy. you enjoy your senses, the devotees say, you are in maya, you are a rascal. And if you chant in kirtan, then the materialists will say, you are insane, you have gone crazy. Huh? Therefore, Lord Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either hate one or you will either be loved by one or hate the other. You have to choose your master. Then he says you cannot love God and mammon simultaneously. And similarly, Lord Sri Krishna, he explains in this verse that what is night for all beings is time of awakening for the self-controlled. 
So therefore, in Krishna consciousness, this is our great ambition. That whatever our occupational duty may be, our goal is simply to please Krishna. We have no other concern. Whether we make profit or whether we make loss, whether we are successful or whether we fail, whether the world loves us or whether the world condemns us, we are not concerned. We will do our best for Krishna's sake. And if it is pleasing to him, then our life is perfect. That is all. So when we take to Krishna consciousness, on the basis of Guru, Sadhu and Shastra, we have to understand what is truth and what is real. And on the basis of Guru, Sadhu and Shastra, we have to live our life. You see, in Krishna consciousness, this is a serious movement for serious people. Prabhupada said, better one moon than millions of stars. Because however many stars are in the sky, they give no light. But the full moon lights up the entire atmosphere. There's no need for lights in the full moon. Try to explain this to Rishabhdev Prabhupada. The difference is these types of electrical lights simply create burning heat. But the full moon, it gives off light. You see this one bulb, it can only cover this much in burning heat. But the moon, the light rays of the moon are so powerful that they light up the whole earth. And yet, the rays are cool and refreshing. They are sweet, like nectar. So better one full moon than millions of stars, or millions of electrical bulbs. Srila Prabhupada used to say, if I told people what they wanted to hear, I could have millions of followers. but because I am speaking the truth of what they need to hear to purify their lives. Most people are against me and only a few serious people, they want to surrender to God utterly because that is what I am teaching. That we must live for Krishna that we must surrender to the divine will of Krishna. And that surrender means to put aside our own preconceived ideas of what will make us happy, to put aside our own false ego, to put aside our natural affinities and attachments, to try to please our Guru and Krishna. 
In this world, we are brainwashed to want to be the master, to be the enjoyer. But in Krishna consciousness, we are taught to be subordinate. In very, very frank terms, we are taught slavery. To be a slave. Who wants to be a slave in this world? People fight for freedom and we're striving to give up our freedom and be a slave. What does that mean? To surrender means to surrender your freedom, to surrender your independence. And as Prabhupada used to say, to become a Vaikuntha man, to become Krishna's man. Of course, when we decide to do that, the power of the gesture of that love is so great that Krishna becomes subordinate to that love. The ultimate extent of this desire to be the enjoyer is found in the Mayavad philosophy because they are teaching that in the ultimate state you can become God by performing your tapasya and performing various forms of meditation you will become God, the supreme enjoyer, the supreme master the controller of all that exists for a devotee that state of consciousness is worse than death Kaivalya Narakayate, Prabodhananda Saraswati Thakur, he prayed that I would rather live in hell than to attain the impersonal state of Kaivalya, where I've, I am under the impression that I am the Supreme Master and I am God. But Prabhupada used to tell us, and the Shastras tell us, that when you surrender to be Krishna's slave, to simply do the will of Krishna then Krishna becomes subordinate to you you become greater than God Arjuna surrendered to Krishna and Krishna became his charioteer his driver in India most wealthy people who have cars they also have drivers it is not a very distinguished job. Go right, you go right. Go left, you go left. Wait, you wait. One, one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. Sometimes nothing to eat, nothing to drink. You're just waiting. And the master, your master couldn't care less that you're waiting. He's just doing his business. And you're waiting and waiting. Meanwhile, the police are telling you, move, move, and you're waiting. It's a very menial job. Krishna became Arjuna's driver. Go right, he went right, go left. Pull my chariot between the two armies, O Krishna. Yes. He took the most menial service. Why? Because Arjuna surrendered to his will in love. 
Love means slavery to the beloved. And in Krishna consciousness, we are teaching the supreme state of that. I remember when Srila Prabhupada was sitting in a room in New York airport in 1972, and all the devotees bowed down. And a newspaper reporter came up to me. I was just new. I just came from India. I didn't know what it, what's going on in America anymore. I didn't want to know what was going on. This reporter came up to me and asked, Why are you bowing your head to a man? Isn't that a humiliating? Isn't that a disgrace to your integrity that you bow down to another man? What is your comment? thinking, welcome back to America. So this man is the representative of God. To bow my head at God, at his servants, is the greatest joy and greatest pleasure in my life. And all they wrote in the paper was that these people bow their heads thinking he is God. That is all. What do we care what they think? The greatest pleasure of a devotee is to place his head at the feet of Krishna and his devotee. I am your servant eternally. And those who like this idea, uh, very nice. And those who do not like this idea, very nice. That is our conviction. Everything is very nice. Whether they stone you, very nice. Whether they throw flowers upon you, it's very nice. Which one do we prefer? Neither one. When I'm in India sitting here, people put garlands on me. When I'm in America at the campus doing the same things, people throw, throw stones at me. Tomatoes, eggs, water, buckets of water. Apples, potatoes, stool, urine, so many varieties of things I'm offered when I'm chanting Hare Krishna. And what the great Acharyas are teaching us is to receive them all in such a way that it is very nice. If they throw stool, urine, and stones at you, you think, oh, very nice, Krishna's reciprocating. And if they throw garlands, yes, this is for Krishna also. So whatever our occupation is, understand that the fulfillment of our life's desires is only when Krishna is pleased. Let us aspire only for this, his eternal loving service. Thank you very much, Hare Krishna. Is there any questions?
There's a story of Srila Rupa Goswami. One day he was sitting in Vrindavan and he just became immersed in, his, in the eternal Leela of Vrindavan. And he was, his consciousness was going deeper and deeper in loving sentiments in the pastimes of Radha and Krishna. And there he was situated where the gopis and the shakis, they were decorating Srimati Radharani with beautiful jewels, beautiful flowers. And some of the gopis were, were combing and braiding her hair in wonderful artistic ways. And Rupa Goswami, although his body was sitting there, his consciousness was united with his eternal relationship with Krishna as Rupa Manjari in the spiritual world as he was watching. He was assisting in this way. And Krishna, he was so attracted by the beauty of Sri Radharani that he was hiding behind the other gopis watching Radharani's hair being combed in this way. So after it had been combed very nicely, the gopis put a mirror in front of Sri Radharani and she looked in the mirror. And when she looked in the mirror, she saw behind her, Krishna was secretly watching. So she became very, very embarrassed and she just started taking cloth and covering her head and trying to look nice and chaste and everything before Krishna. And when Rupa Goswami saw this, he just started laughing like anything, how Radharani was embarrassed in front of Krishna. And at that point, one submissive person who wanted to inquire about spiritual matters from Rupa Goswami came before Rupa Goswami in a very heavy heart. He was very serious. He had some problems. And Rupa Goswami looked at him and started laughing. And this man was thinking, what kind of a great soul is this? He's laughing at me. I'm having problems. So he just left. He went to Sanatana Goswami and said, I went to Rupa Goswami and he just started laughing at me for no reason. It was a very respectful thing to do. Sanatana Goswami explained, that you have to understand that Rupa Goswami is not of this world. <laughs> You can never understand the minds of the great souls, what they are experiencing, why they are doing what they are doing. <laughs>